What is going on, everyone? Welcome to the 10th episode of How They're Here. As always, I'm Tyler Webb, and last week I had a really unique and interesting conversation with the founder of Addiction U, Jay Larikas. Jay's life started out pretty ordinary. He was your typical suburban kid in your typical suburban family. This all came to a screeching halt when his dad got addicted to drugs. This launched the rest of Jay's life into an unpredictable spiral, with his dad popping in and out of his home, often high and unruly. Jay even recounts a specific instance in middle school in which he came home to find that his dad had stolen literally everything in his bedroom, including his bed. Now this brief summary does not do justice to what Jay has had to overcome, and while we don't dive too deeply into the personal aspect of Jay's life on this podcast, I do encourage you to hear about it in an interview he did with the Back Pocket Podcast, a link in the show notes below. Nevertheless, Jay has turned this unfortunate circumstance into a platform to help other families who are suffering from the effects of addiction like his family did. Jay describes the platform as the resource he, his mom, and his sister never had, and hopes to provide invaluable video and teaching resources to families, schools, and clinics across the country to break the stereotype and taboo around families with a loved one struggling with addiction. Here how Jay is taking his raw passion and turning it into a feasible career the resources he's using to get started, and the mistakes and failed ventures he's had along the way, and so much more. I hope you all enjoy this episode and learn a thing or two about how to start to formalize your own passion and gain some valuable insight into how they're here. We are back with another episode. I am joined now by Jay Larikas, who is the founder and CEO of Addiction U. Jay, thank you, first of all, so much for joining me. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. Yeah, so... Jay, what I've liked to do with a lot of guests recently is have you unpack, you know, what your company is by giving me a little 30 second to a minute elevator pitch. And it makes me feel a little important when you sort of pitching your company to me. But I think it also provides really valuable context into what you're doing. And it gives us a great framework to sort of go forward. So why don't you break it down a little bit? What is Addiction U for those of the you know, those at home that don't know. Yeah. So simply put, Addiction U is sort of a tech and video platform that's allowing families of addicts to have another resource that's in home. So currently in the market, when you had a loved one battling addiction, it was go to counseling, go to treatment, go to meetings, you know, go to something. So a lot of people, you know, had a very big fear of judgment when they did it. And a lot of people didn't seek the resources. So coming from a background where me and my co-founder, Eric, have loved ones that battled addiction, we decided to set out with the goal of creating an in-home solution that combined all the same same importances of going out. We're going to use drug and alcohol counselors, industry experts, recovering addicts, their loved ones to ensure what needs to be taught is taught and we're teaching it correctly. Um, but a lot of it's based off experience. So in, in K through 12 education, you get drug and alcohol addiction units and it's here's the stats, here's stimulants versus depressants, here's the big numbers and here's a scary poster of a guy in meth. And that wasn't resonating and there's a big gap. So if it does happen, and right now in America, one in six people have a loved one battling addiction, uh, where do I start? You know, how do I parent my kid through this? How do I, you know, protect myself? You know, how do I keep myself first but still value my relationship? There's a lot of those personal questions that right now there isn't a lot in the industry that answers those and we're aiming to change that. So there's a lot to unpack there, obviously. Yes, yes. And Sorry, it, that was a, a mouthful. No, that that's more that's than fine. an elevator. I, uh, <laughs> I appreciate all the context because I think it's going to be valuable going forward. And for those of you who don't know, Jay did a fantastic episode. Um, and the way we got connected was through Andrew Declan, the back pocket guys. They are going to have to send me some sort of check or something because <laughs> I've just been plugging, 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 which is great because I love what they do. But we got connected there. And, and you're also a, a current St. Thomas student. Yep. How does you know, somebody like, you know, I'm sort of teeny up here, but how does somebody that is a, a student at St. Thomas studying entrepreneurship get into the business of 
addiction counseling, right? Because, you know, it's not traditional by any means. And it's, you know, kind of a taboo and and touchy subject that a lot of people don't love to dive into. So what did that for you? So it actually started way before I ever stepped a foot on St. Thomas's campus in high school. I was really kind of my turning point when I started to develop my own identity away from it was my dad's addiction. And I helped me a lot to tell my story. And when I was in those high school classrooms getting the drug and alcohol unit preached to me, I had just had this big, you know, you're really missing the point kind of mentality to them. So at Chaska High School, which is where I went to, we had a senior project, which was really wide open. Before you graduate, you had to get a project approved and basically had to leave your impact on the high school. So I went to my drug and alcohol counselor and said, hey, you know, this is what I've done. This is who my dad is, where I've came from, and here I am now. I want to tell my story and maybe work with some families or kids that battling the same issues that I did, and maybe I can apply what I've learned and now had success doing to others who may be still in the midst of their situation. And uh, she said, go for it basically. And they set me up in three health classes. Actually it was a health class, a psychology class and a history class of all things. And I just told my story and it started off pretty plain and simple. And Hey, I'm Jay. This is where I grew up. This is what happened. Blah, 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 blah. And I did that for a semester as part of my project. And uh, I thought I was done. I was like, sweet, graduating. And uh, the drug and alcohol counselor came back to me and she's like, you know, you've had a lot of success. I've had a lot of kids come into my my room and say that they mentioned you and listened to what you had to say. And I think you did a really good job at resonating with them. Would you be interested in coming back and doing this every year? So that's where it started was just, yeah, I'm happy to. And I've been back at Chaska and Chanhassen and now many others over the last five years or so. And that's where the passion started. So now, then I went to St. Thomas and uh, I met Eric Martin, who's not here today, but he's my co-founder. And he also kind of shared a similar story with a loved one who had battled addiction. And uh, I'm not going to tell his story for him. I'm going to let him do that. But he, we kind of shared that same passion. And now Eric and I are, you know, the serial entrepreneurs. We're full of big ideas of all kinds. We were literally friends for maybe three weeks, and we had come up with this idea to do an on-campus food delivery business, uh, which St. Thomas didn't have in any way. Sure. And so that was just the first of many. I think over the last four years, we've had uh, probably five businesses slash ideas right. that we've executed. Well, it sounded like you finally landed on one, at least. Yeah. yeah it seems to be working out. We bounced all around. It was just trendiness. You know, what could we make a buck doing this month type mentality? And we really decided to try to settle down and stand for something as now we're looking to make our exit here from St. Thomas and Eric will graduate here in a couple months. I probably got another year left, but you know, we couldn't do this forever and we needed some consistency and something we could really sink our teeth into. So we said, you know, if we're going to do this, it would better be something we care about and addiction. You was born. Sure. So again, I, I must reiterate, you know, Jay went over, went through a story really quickly. And I don't think that obviously gives it justice. And the way, like I said, you talked to Andrew and Declan, it's a fantastic episode. And I think it's a great prelude. I would stop this episode, go listen to that. Just so you can kind of get the backlog of everything, because obviously it's that experience that fuels this passion that you have, which mm-hmm. I find really interesting, sort of pivoting more towards the business side of it. Where do yeah. you think, because you, you said earlier that, you know, traditional drug education is like dare and all these programs where it's just a 
kind of a fear tactic and a lot of black and white facts. And I remember receiving it in elementary and middle school and mm-hmm. it was, you know, just kind of fell into the background. It wasn't oh, yeah. impactful in any way. Why do you think what you're doing kind of what, like what gaps are you filling in that, that dare or some of these other programs just aren't achieving? Yeah, I think it comes down to two things. The first one, which is actually one of the biggest, is just who I am, a 21-year-old dude. Um, a lot of the people in the addiction industry, uh, not knocking any old people, but, you know, they're 60-somethings. They come from whatever, whatever nonprofit, and I'm here to tell you about addiction. And already you sink back into your seat, kind of roll your eyes and say, here we go, as a high school student. Right. And I think that's where we kind of hit it on the head is we come in with a whole lot of energy and turn it almost more into, like, a success mindset conversation, not so much like, again, here's a list of depressants and stimulants and, you know, we're not, well, we are based in fact, but it's not so factual. Like I'm just going to rattle off facts for you today. So it was the ability to connect with high schoolers, which was where we made our impact and what I feel like dare misses out on. Um, they go a lot through, Uh, police departments and stuff and you get a a dare sort of program leader that then goes into schools and kind of gives their spiel and there's nothing really wrong with that other than just over the years now it's really not shown any success I mean overdoses and addiction rates have gone up every year since um, and there really hasn't been an an advancement in what dare does they've kind of just always done the same thing so I think that was the big piece is just being able to identify and kind of be that middleman between high schoolers and parents because I can kind of relate to both. Uh, I'm not a parent, by the way. But yeah, so I, I guess that was the biggest point in differentiating ourselves and just making the content a whole lot more interesting. You know, it's personal. It's stories. I could, again, if you go listen to my back pocket episode, I allude to a couple stories and I could tell them all day um, about some horrific experiences I've had, kind of experiences that have shaped me and my family. And that's what people connect with, because when you start telling these stories, you kind of start getting like the nods of people who aren't just going to be like raise their hand and be like, me too. But you kind of see you're hitting a nerve with people. And that's what's important. And usually when I give the speaking events, you don't get the immediate hand raise me too. It's that night when they end up in your messages. And uh, that's just the mentality there is around addiction, because you kind of touched on it earlier. It's sort of a taboo fear to admit it kind of thing. And Sure. And it's so interesting that you have chosen to take that strategy and, and clearly it's been really effective. But I think, and especially for the people listening that are a little bit more business minded is that whole idea of storytelling and yeah. you see it all over the place where if you want to sell your product, if you want to market your product effectively, you have to tell a story around it mm-hmm. in a similar sense. You're you know selling a product that being a message and your message is certainly way more important in a lot of people's lives than, Oh, go buy my book. It's, you know, go buy or not even buy, but, listen to what I have to say surrounding a a really kind of important topic in a lot of people's lives that that transaction, that transactional format almost stays the same. It's just what you're, you know, presenting is a little different, but the whole idea of storytelling is, is the same thing. And it sounds like that's what you're trying to do. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. I, we actually used this in a presentation once we compared ourselves to breakfast cereal companies and it was in the sense that dare was raisin brand it's what you know parents wanted you to eat from the top down so if we could sell our raisin brand to parents and force their kids to eat it but ultimately at the end of the day the kids are not gonna like the raisin brand Um, and we kind of came in joking as like we're the cocoa puffs of this industry of if we can resonate with the youth and be something they want then you know naturally parents and the education system and stuff will follow right so that's kind of how we see ourselves in that's really interesting i think that's a really fair comparison right Mm -hmm. and it's almost more 
crucial that, you know, because if you're talking strictly about a cereal, take out all of the metaphor, you know, talking about a cereal, a parent can force the kid to eat it. And from there, you know, they've eaten it. You could go out in front of somebody and, and present them information. That doesn't mean that they're digesting it in any way or that doesn't mean they're receiving it. Right. So it's even more important that you're giving these kids and these you know younger people something that they want to hear mm-hmm. or that they're able to resonate with because it's, it's not enough to just go out and blast them with information statistics like you said all these other programs do you have to you know you have to give them something that's convincing to them right and again on the metaphor if you're a parent and at age four just for the sake of my metaphor you start forcing your kid to eat raisin bran the minute they don't have to listen to you anymore, whether that's 15 or 18, I promise you they're not eating Raisin Bran anymore. And so how effective was those 10 years of Raisin Bran? Um, you know, if you can lock a kid in, I mean, I'm 21 and I'll still go buy a box of Cocoa Puffs. Sure. So. <laughs> Fantastic <laughs> metaphor and it plays obviously in, in your life as well. So when you're talking about this transition from speaking at high schools and just, you know, doing it as Jay Larikas to now forming a business around it, right? Mm-hmm. There's there was a lot of steps that had to be taken in between then. I'm curious, what was the the mindset change for you that was, okay, this isn't just me going around and speaking out of the goodness of my heart. This is something that, you know, I can capitalize on and not even from a business sense of make money, but I can impact more people. When was that, you know, when did when did that happen for you? Yeah. So it started to be when my individual speaking events started to pick up a little and I went to college and I just started to get busier. And I was like, I can't clone myself. Like, I love taking these events, but the reality is I just can't take them all anymore. So it was a really simple kind of start of the idea of what if I just record myself giving this speaking event and then I can just send the video to schools. And from there, I was like, eh, I mean, I feel like we could do more. And uh, so that's kind of was the pivot. And if I already was intending to record myself speaking to benefit high schools, why couldn't I do more to benefit high schools? And that was kind of the pivot. And, uh, yeah. Okay. So that makes sense that you're kind of trying to scale it, which is mm-hmm. obviously the problem in, in a lot of businesses. You're, so you're at St. Thomas now, um, and, and St. Thomas, I have come to realize, I didn't even realize this beforehand, but now tapping into the back pocket network and just the St. Thomas network, there's a lot of entrepreneurial minds that come out of the yes. university. And I know, you know, you're familiar with Scott Ballard, mm-hmm. um, and just a lot of some of the other guys at the back pocket guys at least have, have talked to, um, you're there studying entrepreneurship, which yep. this is a bit of a tangent from Addiction U, but I'm, I'm curious to ask people because I recorded an episode of Scott last week, which at the time of you listening to this, it should be out. But Scott is also there studying entrepreneurship. I'm here at the University of Minnesota studying entrepreneurship and marketing. And I got the question myself probably a month and a half ago, which was, why are you going to school to study entrepreneurship? It seems inherently backwards, right, that you're going to school to you know, sort of study a way to break the system, which doesn't really seem to mesh with a lot of people, at least in the way that they think about entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. So I turn the question on to you now, which is why did you choose to go study entrepreneurship and what value do you see a traditional university giving you as an entrepreneur? Yeah. So I was one of the unique ones, I'd say, at least amongst my friends. I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneurship before I even graduated. A lot of my friends are on their fourth major choice, and that's not been me. I stepped foot on that campus knowing what I wanted to do, and now I'm four years in and still doing the same thing, and I have no issues. You brought it up. The interesting thing about entrepreneurship is at least not for the foreseeable future, will you see a sign hanging in a window or an ad online that says job hiring entrepreneurship major? And I think ultimately it comes down to the really simplistic fact that entrepreneur, entrepreneurship majors are entrepreneurship majors because that's what they love to do regardless of all else. And I think a lot of our age kids just have that mentality of 
I need to do whatever it takes to get a job. And you go maybe compromise in some senses, not to say that everyone does this by any means. It's maybe I love entrepreneurship at its roots, but it's too iffy for me. So I'm going to go marketing just because I know I can get a job. And uh, yeah, I just really, for me, wanted to be entrepreneurship through and through. I loved it. And even if I didn't make $100,000 a year doing it based on my degree, it was what I wanted to do. It, what gets, it's what gets me excited and up every morning. And that meant a lot to me. Um, and I think now you're going to see a change, not, I'm going to start forecasting changes, but, Go ahead. uh, um, I think you really see that entrepreneurship filters people out. People that are entrepreneurship majors have that mentality that that's just their passion. That's what they love to do. And I think the industry will start to catch on if they haven't already that, uh, again, no offense to my marketing majors of the world, but if you know, marketing major only means so much. But if you're an entrepreneurship major, you must really believe in something. And if you really want a passionate workforce, you maybe start to look to entrepreneurship majors. And I think that turn is coming. Um, but there's two kinds of entrepreneurship major, in my opinion. There's the ones that uh, look to start a business and never have to use a resume in their life. And uh, the ones that use their entrepreneurship major for uh, work purposes. And we get the spiel 24-7 in the program on, you know, sell yourself. You're creative thinkers. You're creative problem solvers. You can take any system or product and make it better. Like any company can benefit from those traits. And that's what we're kind of sold on. So you kind of see within the major, two branches of the major, in my opinion, on the, the startup guys and the uh, innovator kind of within an industry. Okay. So given that definition, which one would you consider yourself? Because there clearly is some overlap, but you didn't really present it in a way where I thought that you're bashing one or the other. So I'm mm -hmm. curious to see what you would consider yourself. Um, first choice, I'm the startup guy. I the best and worst thing about me is I can only think big. So I've, I don't, I'm not going to say I foresee myself struggling in like a corporate environment, but it would definitely be my preference and I'm not too worried about the risk to be the startup guy and uh, use the corporate entities, the fallback. So. Uh, so I'd assume with being a startup guy, and you said before that you're a steel entrepreneur, what what companies or, or what things led you to addiction you? Because I doubt it was your first one. Nope. Were there ones before where they failed that people that are listening could maybe glean a little value from just like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's stay away from this for, for this reason. Yeah. I could talk about this all day is, there's a difference. Okay, so let's start. Day one of college was food delivery programs, and we just did it. Okay, there was no business structure. It was like we're going to print out a bunch of flyers, hand them out, and set up a Google phone number and take orders. And we did that for a couple days, and it took off. Like it was more than two people could handle because it was just me and Eric at the time. And then the St. Thomas started to get a little upset with us that we were, you know, capitalizing off their student base. And so it got shut down within about a week. So that was kind of a learning curve. And then Entrepreneurship 200 at St. Thomas forces you to start a business. It's the, lump, excuse me, the lemonade stand class, uh, the birth of Love Your Melon. And so me and one of my friends named Miranda, like many um, simplistic entrepreneurs, go straight for apparel. And we started Real Street Apparel and our designs with the intent to be made by the homeless population. We wanted to give them something to do um, an untapped resource and supply them with art supplies and just see that creativity seep through and print them on shirts. We spent months 
working with homeless shelters, meeting homeless people, supplying all the art supplies. And finally, we got to the point where we had, you know, preached this over a course of a month or two and said, all right, guys, it's time to create. Here's the bin. We'll be back in a week with, to pick up the submissions. All of our art supplies were stolen. Not one submission. And our submission bin was literally full of literal trash. Um, and we kind of had a big flop. Uh, there's many reasons for that. But then my first real business what that I actually like put an LLC behind was a company called Cuckoo, which was a spinoff of an Enactus project, which is an entrepreneurship club at St. Thomas. And we were working with a great nonprofit, the Lee Sisters Foundation, and she does a lot of Kenyan aid work. And originally she came to us uh, and looking to expand her bracelet brand just to increase revenue, more money equals more resources for the Kenyans and this, that, and the other. And we had a lot of success with it. And we were actually looking to build chicken farms because these really, really at-risk Kenyans, literally making less than $2 a day, could sell the eggs at market for income and eat them for, you know, self-sufficient food. So me and Eric and some of our other friends said, all right, we're starting the apparel brand. We kind of had Ivory Ella kind of mentality of we're going to make these chicken-based apparel items with really cool artistic right. graphic design pieces. Yeah. Um, we started it all up, dumped thousands into influencer marketing, photo shoots, ads, blah, blah, selling this idea we can build chicken farms with the proceeds. Horrible. It was tragic. <laughs> um, just a very simple fact that people really didn't like wearing stuff with chickens painted on them. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> ups and downs. I could talk yeah. about it all day. Of but course. Yeah. How could you have foreseen that nobody wants to wear chicken apparel? It's, right. it's, it's impossible. But <laughs> anyway, given that, I, I think that's a valuable insight into the mind of somebody that considers themselves a, a serial entrepreneur, especially now, you know, you can sort of sit a little bit more comfortably knowing that you have something like addiction you under your belt to mm -hmm. where it's not like you're this kind of pontificator and guy that just reaches out and just kind of flops and flops and flops because there's obviously a lot of those people out there that give entrepreneurs kind of a bad rap where mm -hmm. they're, you know, they got something linked in their Instagram bio. And then all of a sudden that I've talked about it before it confers some expertise that they're the CEO of founder of some completely yeah. arbitrary or meaningless mm -hmm. company. Uh, but, but you took now transferring back to addiction. You, you took, you know, real action behind, behind that idea. Do you have any insight into why that addiction you has kind of lasted longer than some of these other you know, other, other ventures. I, I have an inkling that it surrounds just the passion that you have behind it, yeah. but I would like to hear it, you know, from your mouth in terms of why you think that this addiction, you have some legs to it. Yeah. I think first and foremost is kind of like you touched on. It's important with, uh, it's important to us all the way to its core. Cause it's built on our stories. A lot of things we did, you know, what can we do to make a buck or hop on a trend and this, that, and the other. Um, but this one was purely out of the fact that we wanted to settle in on something. And we knew that that was the common interest and really the only um, sort of injustice I've had in my life that I could really put passion behind. And that was kind of the birth of it. There's a good quote, uh, Rob Deerdeck said it, who's like one of my favorite entrepreneurs. And he's like, when you're someone that can do anything, you do everything. And in the end, you stand for nothing. And I think that was something that really resonated with me and Eric is even though we're, you know, still pretty young, we've just been spewing out all these ideas for the sake of making a buck. And, uh, 
this was one that we said, all right, we're not going to have this St. Thomas platform much longer. So let's settle down, decide what we want to do and put our all into it. And yeah, that was Addiction U. Sure. So talking about that St. Thomas platform, you've obviously taken advantage of it. Most notably, most notably being the Fowler Award, which you talked about with Andrew Deck again. But I want to dive into that a little bit because I think it's very interesting. And to my knowledge, the University of Minnesota doesn't have something like that. But again, I could be completely mm-hmm. wrong. But I think it's a really interesting way to sort of incentivize and, and promote this kind of entrepreneurial spirit. And that might very well be the reason why St. Thomas is so many, you know, great startups, like you said, love your melon, you know, Scott with Skyline Specs and, mm-hmm. and so many others that, you know, probably fly a little bit more under the radar, but can you walk me through the process of the Fowler award, how that all works and, and what the timeline was for you guys? Because as far as I understand it, it was a pretty impactful moment just in the journey of addiction. You. Definitely. So the Fowler is hosted by Ron Fowler, who's the owner of the San Diego Padres. And he graduated from St. Thomas back when it was the College of St. Thomas back in the late 60s, I want to say, maybe early 70s. And so he's a major beneficiary of the school. And he is an entrepreneur himself, of course, and wanted to embrace that. And so between the Schultz School of Entrepreneurship, which was funded by Dick Schultz, the founder of Best Buy, There was a collaboration there, and the Fowler Concept Challenge was born. And so the initial piece of it was basically a wide-open submission. Any student, grad, undergrad, whatever, could write basically a five- to six-page summary of what's your business concept, who does it affect, why will it work, why is it different, blah, 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 the basic five-page outline. And so we started there, and... This is actually funny. Addiction U started as a blanket company, of all things. It was actually called Uru, which is like URU. Okay. Um, long story short. So we actually started writing that concept for the Fowler, which was very uh, love your Melanie, buy one, give one blankets, sure. and things of that nature. And we immediately, we hit it hard. Like when Eric and I do something, we kind of have this head first mentality. And so we were already talking to manufacturers and okay, how much money do we need to put in an order? Blah, blah, blah. We had designs worked out. Um, and it was a lot of money and we were like, okay, like if our ultimate goal here is to help people, why are we letting manufacturers get in the way of it? So that was when the pivot came back and said, well, you know, here's what I've been doing for these high schools. It's kind of aligns in the same um, focus of helping that demographic what if we you know kind of expand upon that and we were in a social entrepreneurship class which was great because we had all the time in the world and uh, to work with our professor and really work out the kinks so we submit and we wait for like two weeks and basically there's a grading process and they accept 16 projects Uh, we found out later that there was 85 submissions but we didn't know that at the time so Long story short, we get the email that says, you're in, you know, here's your feedback, blah, blah. And our feedback was phenomenal. Like, I was amazed. I'm, I'm still concerned about, will we get in? Will we not get in? Just with by the depth of the feedback, like how much they took? Yeah, and there was like a zero idea. to seven scoring, and we got a perfect score. Oh, wow. So we were like, oh, we got something And this here. is for the blanket company, too, the yeah, one that yeah. you don't even have This right is now. for the blanket company. That's we interesting. Get a perfect score on submission. Sure. And then, so, sorry if I don't lay that out right. Yes, we submitted the blanket company, and the blanket company got into the Fowler. And in the days working up to it, we started to have these problems, and it was literally like six or seven days before the Fowler, we decided to completely scrap the blanket idea, which had gotten a perfect score. So we scrapped a perfect score project six days before we were supposed to present it and did this big pivot. 
to what is now the you know early versions of Addiction U as a, a content platform for in-home resources and stuff like that. Sure. So that's Oh, I'm sorry, I cut nope. you off. But that's very interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One, that a school the size of St. Thomas, which isn't humongous, can produce 85, 86, like well thought out, at least well enough thought out to type five to six pages on mm-hmm. it, ideas, which is insane. And second, that you decided to scrap an idea that was perfect. And the interesting part to me, and maybe you can shed some light onto it, but it was obviously a perfect idea in the eyes of these these judges or these graders and whatever mm-hmm. criteria they were grading it on what were like what came up for you that you realized like this isn't going to work because clearly you spent a lot of time on writing this plan and then you had a lot of time to digest it before the actual you know the actual award um, process w- competition I suppose what what did it for you that you're like this blanket idea is not going to work and that you had to scramble to scrap it all yeah so a couple of reasons again our end goal was to really impact and help families. And so the only way we could sort of do that via selling blankets was to do buy one, give one. So anytime you do buy one, give one in anything, you sort of have to cover your cost twice, which, you know, you're paying for two for every one you sell. So now if you're something that's blanket, that's looking for a retail um, space, now you're dealing in wholesale pricing. And so we were kind of just taking these hacks and hacks and hacks out of our pricing. And we got to the point where Eric and I were like, dude, this blanket is going to have to be almost $200. And that just... <laughs> better be the best blanket, best blanket It better be the best blanket in the world. world. Um, and it it wasn't. So we knew that we were kind of sure. going the wrong way. Yeah. And again, there was a big uh, hurdle there with manufacturing. And they'd have to set up our systems, which was going to cost tens of thousands of dollars. And then inventory alone, managing SKUs, how are we going to sell them, just... It got messy in a hurry, and we didn't have the money or, uh, I'd say, even patience to work all that out because it would probably take years before we really got to be efficient and really start helping people. Sure. So that was where we said, yeah, this is great on paper. Uh, keep in mind, we didn't have to cl- include like a business plan for this. It was purely conceptual. Okay. So we were like, okay, this is one of those things that's a great idea, but not so great in execution. Sure. And you touched on a little bit, but within the scope of this whole process, were you, obviously I'd assume you went into it with the assumption that you were going to create this into a legitimate business where Mm -hmm. I could find it very easily, easy that people went in just with a plan and maybe had no intentions on turning it into a business Mm -hmm. where I would assume you being you went in, you know, going, okay, we're going to make this blanket company a, an actual thing. Was it just planning up until that point or was there, you know, there's obviously time put in, but was there any other sort of resource put in prior to the the competition itself or was it all sort of that ideation before? Yeah. So there wasn't mandatory, um, any sort of process that had to go in prior. Okay. Eric and I were a little bit of overachievers and we kind of walked into Joanne Fabrics and spent a few hundred dollars on fabric and literally we're going to make blankets and prototypes to bring to competition. So I literally have the most hilarious pictures of us on the floor of my apartment, like cutting up fabric and making blankets, which we were not good at. Um, I don't have any background in sewing or anything. Your $200 blankets, handmade. There you go. Exactly. Yeah. So we were already kind of getting to the point where we kind of understood it wasn't going to work. Um, but no, to answer your question, you don't have to do anything. Provide, create the concept, why it's going to work, create a presentation, and uh, be ready to answer questions, basically. Sure. So I completely sidetracked us. Going back into this timeline of 
you six days before the competition completely scrap what you had prepared in mm-hmm. terms of the blanket company you pivot then to what is now or what was then in an early stage of addiction you being a media platform essentially yes. for people suffering or people with loved ones suffering from addiction mm-hmm. why that shift from blankets to media you know that it goes from very tangible we'll buy you know a buy one give one sort of thing to mm-hmm. a a really sort of foreign concept in in that scope yeah so really our professor helped us a lot literally we were in class one day and he goes have you guys ever heard of knowledge commerce and the answer was no and he's like okay you probably know it best in the sense of the obnoxious internet entrepreneur telling you buy my course for my funnel secrets and whatever 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 and he's like that's knowledge commerce um but it doesn't necessarily have to be so buy my sales secrets blah blah garbage that i hate um so he was like you could realistically use your experience and other people's experience to start to create something that people can a course basically that people can purchase um that helps them so that was kind of the birth of that was this educational platform addiction you literally addiction university was the idea behind it where you can purchase courses pertaining to addiction i mean it all adds up and that's what we went into the follower with um that idea that we were going to create three courses pertaining to different things. And our first draft of it was we were going to have a course for parents, a course for kids, and a course for teachers that each kind of applied. Like, okay, here's what you can do, 15-year-old Jimmy, whose loved one is battling addiction. Because we want to help you create that identity for yourself. You know, I mean, middle school and high school suck, man, if you got stuff going on. You know, the last thing you want is to be able to label as the kid with the drug addict dad. Right. And so there's a lot of steps we could take and help people. And then my mom and other people that were, uh, you know, around this whole thing could help apply their viewpoints to parents. And there's a lot of really good advice. I won't give too much away, but for example, kind of one of the foundational pieces around our courses is you kind of got to be hard um, in the sense that it's really easy. Let's use a parenting example. If you're a mom and dad's getting into a, a drugs and you have a kid, it's really easy to say, my kid's going through a hard time. Can we please give him a pass on this homework? He had a hard night last night. Uh, we can skip practice today, Jimmy. Like I know blah, 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 blah. Worst thing you can do. Cause we've really figured out between our own stories and people we've talked to that the minute you let uh, an impressionable kid use their story or circumstance as a reason to not succeed, they will always use it kind of as a crutch. Um, it's, I don't have to, you know, no one would expect me to do that. I'm the son of a drug addict, like mentality. Um, and it wasn't universal, but it was very common to see. So we kind of went in with those educational um, perspectives and that's, that's what we took to the stage. So at this point, were you, de- were you deriving a lot of these educational points from your own personal experience yeah. or, you know, I guess maybe it's changed from beginning of, you know, before the Fowler to now, but where are you getting a lot of this information and what sort of work is being put into that back end? Yep. So a lot of it, especially in the beginning was of course, experience based between Eric and I, um, and like our siblings we started tapping into people that I had spoken with back when I was just going around in high schools, uh, even drug and alcohol counselors I had worked with. And then we, long story short, we have like a treatment center reach out to us that says, hey, I hear you're up to something. Let's talk. They provide some insights. Moral of story, we just started accumulating more direct personal info beyond just 
the stats and statistics. And sure. So you're armed with all of this heading into the Fowler. Mm-hmm. Kind of turned to 180 on what your whole idea was, but nevertheless, I assume you were prepared, and I'm assuming I am because you ended up winning the whole thing yeah. in your in your lane. Mm-hmm. Walk me through what that process is like. Obviously, you know this is kind of a, a niche thing just for St. Thomas students, mm-hmm. but I think there's some value to be gained just in terms of pitching your business and portraying this you know, this image or portraying a message that, that you're really passionate about. What was that, you know, day like? Yeah. So I guess as far as structure goes, so you're in that final 16 and finals all happens on one day. And in the morning they put four teams in four rooms and you have to win your room. So you, all four teams present within their room and the best team in each room moves on to the final, final, uh, final four. And, um, we actually side note went into that first room and we're scripted. We decided to completely script our entire presentation. And our clicker jams, so like the forward click button jams. So we're just barreling through slides. Like we have no control over the PowerPoint, just a runaway train. And we can like see it behind us. And there's kind of this like exchange of look on what do we do here? And we kind of made the unspoken decision to just stick to the script and just kind of call, chalk up the PowerPoint as a loss and just give them the script. And that's what we did. And uh, we walked out of that room just bummed out. Like we thought we just got screwed over by tech and uh, that there we there was our shot. And so we were literally like bumming around the whole day, you know, kind of crabby. We, we had a lunch to go to as part of the competition. And, you know, we're kind of beating ourselves up. And it was in that lunch then that they announced the final four and uh, our name gets called. So we were like, it was kind of this, um, we're kind of staring at each other and then it's like, what (laughs) you know right really (laughs) mentality and then it was just a complete you know turn the switch and okay let's regroup it's go time and uh yep so then you go on the final four we're the third to go and we're again if you don't go to st thomas you don't know what wolf alumni hall is but it's this big banquet auditorium room and we're up on stage and there's quite a few people in the crowd and we're talking high-end people um there was a mix of obviously st thomas faculty but you have ron fowler who's there who owns the san diego padres you have, i forget his last name it's uh eric something that starts with an s who's the president of the san diego padres uh you have Ginny morris who's the ceo and president of hubbard radio and all kinds of just major players sure. in the room and their judges and there was maybe seven or eight judges and then just a room full of audience members teams families whatever whatever uh, and, and we laid it down perfectly and it was, yeah, perfect. We got off the stage and it was kind of bittersweet because regardless of winning or not at that point, we were like, okay, we did the best we could do. I mean, there's nothing we left on the table. So if we get beat, then we get beat. Of course. So, so going back to your sort of mishappened first round, it almost seems a little bit poetic from my standpoint, just on the sense that you were really able to sell yourself on on message alone like mm-hmm. it wasn't gimmicky or it wasn't you had the best presentation it was you had the best message so what was i don't know how much time you had but what was the message that you that basically won you that room without having any of the other you know visual advantages that all of your competitors had yeah it all just came down to telling a story and and conveying the passion and ultimately that we were the right people for the job a lot of time, this wasn't investment based, but you hear the term people invest in people or you invest in the entrepreneur. Right. Because, you know, you make the argument that the right person can do anything. Um, 
so that was really what we sold. And we had scripted. We kind of had this outline of we lay out the problem of addiction in America where one in six people have a loved one battling addiction and no one knows this better than us. These are literally script lines we had. Um, and I give about a one-minute rundown of my story about when I was 12 years old, my dad became addicted to crack cocaine. And then, you know, the following six years, tell some crazy stories, things of that nature, which led us to, you know, um, create Addiction U. And then we basically ran through the outline. We're knowledge college, a knowledge commerce company that focuses on the addiction industry. We're currently looking to produce three courses. You can get an idea behind me of what's in the courses, you know, the traditional script lines. And then we tie it all back in at the end, um, which for you presenters out there is a really big piece of telling a story is you start and end with the story. So we had talked about within a minute my personal connection and why we're doing this. And then literally the last line of our presentation is what we're most excited about is providing a resource that our parents didn't have. And uh, you really kind of send the message home that there's a need in the market. And that was pretty much how we told our story. And you know, now's the time to do it. And we got a lot of feedback, you know, your timing's perfect as this issue is kind of at the the forefront of news and topics. Um, Tim Walls right now is trying to pass a $20 million legislation to combat the opioid um, epidemic in Minnesota alone. So we're kind of right in the mix of all that um, news. So it fit perfectly. And yeah. Yeah. So you win the whole thing. What does this, you know, probably get a, a nice little piece of hardware for that. What does, you know, winning the Fowler now allow you to do going forward? And we talked about before you had another competition that you guys did very well in mm -hmm. again last week. Uh, what, what do these things allow you to do going forward for Addiction U? Yeah, honestly, the platform is the biggest piece. So Eric and I won $15,000 scholarships. We won. We got a beefy trophy. Um, but honestly, the best thing that come from that was the, the platform. And you get, you know, a little press release. St. Thomas does an article and that blows up a little bit. So my hometown then, you know, grabs it. Chaska Herald does an article on it. And then it just kind of snowballs. Now we're on the Back Pocket podcast. And now, now you're get, here. Now you're podcasting with me. Yeah. You're really hitting all the major stops. And so. uh, the, the crazy thing is our, our blow up per se in quotation marks is um s relatively small okay like we got 500 some downloads on our po our first podcast we got some small town papers whatever whatever but what was crazy is it just um hit home on how rampant the problem is because yeah we maybe make a thousand maybe two thousand impressions um and three four hundred of those people can connect to it so you start to get, hey, my dad owns a treatment center, and then maybe you should talk to him. We take a meeting. Um, a kid in the crowd connects to it. He says, I go to Malacca High School. You should speak at my high school. And it's just this, you know, um, little mini montage of new opportunities. And where we took them all. We met with everyone we could meet with, talked to everyone we could talk to, took all the podcasts we get invited to. Right. Um, you, just to keep spreading that awareness because you know you never know who you meet one day that changes the game of course so looking forward now for addiction you i kind of foresee it to be in a in kind of an important inflection point in the in the lifespan and obviously in your life and in eric's life as well you guys are coming up on your day of reckoning as I like to call it you know, college graduation kind of get mm -hmm. booted out into the real world um, and now piggybacking on you know that 
stress is the fact that you have a company that you're that you're trying to start. So what does the timeline look for the next six months, year, five years for, for you, Eric, and Addiction You? Yeah. So like you mentioned, we get we kind of touched on it earlier, the the perks of going to St. Thomas. Um, I'm not going to try to sell people on St. Thomas, but within the program, you get a lot of resources. Okay. Your professors, most of them have started businesses. We have, you know, fortune 500 CFOs on our, that are working with us. You get, um, we have like a legal corpse thing. So you get like free legal help and all these kind of things that really help you get off the ground properly. So you don't screw yourself in the first year. Um, so it's utilizing those resources in the short term. Um, it wasn't my plan to be a five-year grad, but Eric and I kind of joked that it's kind of working out because we get another year of resources. Um, but beyond that, I mean, we really need to hit it hard. We're in the process of filming right now, which is tricky. That's been kind of our biggest hurdle so far is we went out, um, we kind of bootstrapped close to 10 grand and bought a bunch of media stuff. You know, let's get cameras, mics, lights, backdrop, and we let's like, let's start filming. Um, and it was good in theory until you get down to the the fact that Eric and I aren't filmmakers and we're trying to sell quality content. And, you know, our courses have like nine hours of content in them. So you don't want to be looking at shaky cameras and when you're trying to do edits and trying to make the mouths line up with the words coming out of them because you're off by the slightest bit. The last thing you want to do is watch that when, you know, what you're seeing and hearing isn't matching up. So moral of the story, okay, we were bad uh, at actually filming. So now we were like, okay, let's take a step back. And we knew that we were going to have to go get someone, whether it meant hiring or bringing in a partner or going to a third-party production firm. Moral of the story, we needed the money to do so. So then now I'm kind of talking backwards again. but So that's when we kind of went on hold and said, let's enter into a new competition and try to get some money for this. And that was the business plan competition, which we just did Friday. Um, but yeah, beyond that, it's marketing, 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 the ability. I love our brand because it tells a story and it's a really easy story to follow. There's a lot of brands who say, oh, we tell a story and they're like, you know, don't have a very story-esque product. Sure. Um, I understand it's a key marketing tool. Like, I don't care if you're selling toothpaste, try to tell a story. But, you know, some things are easier than others. Uh, so right now it's a lot of that figuring out what we want it to look like. We're almost kind of scripting our next year before we just get all willy nilly and let's start posting videos and just for the sake of doing it, we're really trying to be strategic about it because we feel like our best timing is right now and we don't want to mess that up. So we are, we did take like a mini step back to make sure we do it right. Originally we said, I think on back pocket, even we were like, we're launching in February and then that uh that has basically not happened okay. and now as february is yes, coming quickly to a close here we are middle of february um but now we have we're kind of looking at two to three months out again but it's not the end of the world you know better to be patient and do it right than blow it you know you only get one shot to make an impression and the first time someone buys a course that isn't to the quality we hoped um i mean the minute you get a bad review in this kind of industry when it's knowledge commerce and someone says, you know, this course is garbage. It pretty much puts an idea right there. Right, You're drowned. Um, so that's what we don't want to happen. Of so course. we're kind of taking the uh, extra precautions and time and raising some extra money to ensure we can do things right. 
And we're also in the process too of trying to lock down some really cool people to feature in our video. People sometimes, uh, super big misconception about addiction is that it's, you know, lower income and all, all these sort of subpar standards of the human race are addicts. Uh, completely not true. I mean, I'm not going to sit on here and name names, but there's plenty of CEOs and this, that, and the other that have a lot of addiction problems and they keep them all confined in. And it's hard if you're a client-based person too. I know families that have battled with substance abuse and no longer do. And it's like, hey, do you want to tell your story? Uh, and they're like, no, I have I have clients. I don't want them finding out that I was an addict. And, you know, it's like, hmm. I mean, I hate that answer, but what do you do? So moral of the story, we're trying to get some really impactful people to come out and embrace that they're in a position of power and that they battled addiction because I think that'll really resonate with people. So right now we're just really focused on improving the quality of our content um, and making sure we do it the right way. Yeah. So that's kind of our next year or two and then just scale. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So wrapping things up here, it is clear that you've sort of been through the gamut in, in life and especially very recently in, in a business and in a little bit more professional sense. What has been something that you've learned, heard from somebody? I know you shared a quote earlier, um, something that maybe has been a firsthand experience uh, that you think has been really a pivotal or, or valuable thing in, in propelling you into your business career. Has there been one thing that you're kind of, you know, acting or having act as your why, or was it something you heard Floor is open for interpretation yeah. there? You know, I'm really trying to think of something profound and interesting, but honestly, it's just a whole lot of self-confidence that your story is not you. There's a lot of people who get dealt a bad uh, deck of cards in life, and literally, you just got to make the most out of them. And if you sit there your entire life and saying, you know, why me? You know, I, why did I get screwed over with poor parenting or maybe it's, you know, your own personal issues, whether it's mental health, addiction, who knows what? Like, that isn't you. That's just what you're going through right now. And there's a whole world in front of you that a few good decisions can change. I mean, I remember days where I would come home, and I'm in sixth, seventh grade. My dad would be gone, you know, in and out of rehab. My dad would steal belongings, anything of valuable to pawn. I'd come home, and my bedroom was completely cleaned out. And, you know, you're still in middle school where that's the last thing you want anyone to hear about. And you feel like just a total mess. Like, you know, what do I even do here? And I mean, I laugh about it now, but I mean, you weren't laughing about it then. And then sitting where I'm at, and you can just trace it back to kind of a few key decisions. And I think everyone has that power to make a few key decisions that change their forever. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. I, you didn't want to get, you didn't <laughs> think you were profound, but I think that is absolutely fantastic. Jay, thank you so much for uh, joining me and telling your story and good luck to you and Eric and addiction you going forward. I, I hope to see you guys succeed. And I think that's, uh, I think that's going to happen for you guys. Yeah. Great well, stuff. I appreciate it. And it's uh, been a ton of fun being here and thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jay. And that is it for this episode. If you enjoyed, there is more to come. An episode of how they're here releases every other Wednesday. In the meantime, check us out on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook by searching How They're Here, or find me online at Tyler M. Webb to connect. If you want to hear more from us, make sure to rate and subscribe. It helps us stay in business. Thank you, as always, for listening, and I'll talk to you all soon. Peace.